You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Lord, open our eyes to see you, open our ears to hear you, and open our hearts to love you. By the work of your Son, through your Holy Spirit. Amen. So, the passage in front of us tonight is Mark 10, 46 through 52. So go ahead and put your eyes on that one in your bulletin. Flip open to it in the Bible. It's in the pew rack or in your own Bible. Even better if you've got that on you. Um, this passage comes to us at a time in Mark's Gospel where the volume is starting to sort of turn up to 10, right? If you remember four or five weeks ago, we talked about how um, sometime in Mark's Gospel, in the 8th chapter, around verse 26, a, a noticeable shift happens, right? Mark um, records Jesus having spent all this time in Galilee, up in the north of Israel, and then all of a sudden, in chapter 8, Jesus kind of pivots toward Jerusalem and the death and humiliation that await him there. So that's kind of the context and the backdrop for this particular passage. And this Bartimaeus passage is uh, just another checkpoint, but a particularly important one on Jesus' journey to Jerusalem and to the cross that waits for him there. Uh, so Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, does a few things that really set this passage off as an important moment in the life and ministry of Jesus uh, on his way to the cross. So first, um, one thing that makes this passage unique is that Jesus, his disciples, and his followers find themselves in and around Jericho for these several verses, right? Jericho is kind of the last real city before Jerusalem. Like if you're on the way to the temple and you got to stop and go to the restroom, like Jericho's your last chance to do it before you get to Jerusalem, right? I drive into Advent every day from a ways north, and once I get to Gardendale, I'm kind of like, all right, I'm... I'm pretty much here, right? Jericho is like Gardendale to Jerusalem's Birmingham. So, again, Jesus is getting close, right? This is it. Like, the finish line for his ministry is in Jerusalem. He is not journeying through Jericho, touch base in Jerusalem, and go back to the north to do some more ministry. No, like, we are getting very, very close to Jesus' finish line here. Second thing Mark points out that makes this passage unique is that Bartimaeus is the last person healed in the Gospel of Mark. From here on in, Jesus didn't heal any more people, at least in Mark's account. So, <clears throat> that's interesting. It's also interesting that Bartimaeus is the only person who gets healed whose name Mark records. We hear a lot of other healings in the Gospel of Mark, and sometimes Mark will record the names of fathers or sons or uncles or aunts or whoever related to the person who gets healed. But this is the only position where Mark says, hey, that's Bartimaeus who got healed, right? So um, Mark does this probably for two reasons. One is probably apologetic, as if he's saying, hey, this happened to a guy named Bartimaeus. Go check with him if you think I'm lying, right? So that's one piece of it. Uh, on the other hand, though, I think Mark is really just trying to shine the spotlight on Bartimaeus and on um, sort of the relationship between him and Jesus in this little vignette, right? It sort of shows us either in 33-ish AD 
in Jericho or in 2021, Birmingham, Alabama, what it looks like to be a disciple, follower of Jesus. Um, okay, third and final thing that sort of sets this passage off. Bartimaeus is the only one who gets healed in the Gospel of Mark, who follows Jesus after he gets healed. Right? There are other cities where Jesus will heal somebody and send them back to their own town, or where he'll heal people and they'll go off and we don't really ever hear of them again. This is the only episode in Mark where a person is healed and gets up and walks with Jesus. Now, given that there are so many aspects of this story that will catch our eye, I think it will do us well to take as deep a dive as we can in the next like 20 odd minutes. Uh, so I've got three points, three things that Bartimaeus teaches you and I about discipleship and about following Jesus. I tried very hard to make these three things start with the same letter, uh, but it didn't work out for me this week, so y'all are going to have to do a little extra work in two weeks trying to get better on that front. Um, but yeah, so we've got three points, hopefully some application, and we'll move on. So I think the first thing to know about Bartimaeus is just how desperate he is. Like Bartimaeus, totally hopeless and desperate, right? He is uh, he's blind, he's a beggar, he's sitting on the side of the road, obviously has no support system, and people are passing him by, and this passage in the same way they've been doing for heaven knows how long. Uh, even so, right, Bartimaeus calls out to Jesus, right? Bartimaeus' desperation doesn't keep him from calling out to Jesus once he's heard that Jesus of Nazareth is in the general vicinity. Now, Bartimaeus does this knowing that he has nothing to offer. He has nothing that he can bring to the table, absolutely nothing that Jesus, the disciples, and his followers don't already have plenty of, right? Now, some of Jesus' followers know that, so they rebuke him, right? They tell him to go sit down, start calling out to Jesus, but even so, Bartimaeus remains attracted to Jesus, right? There's something about Jesus of Nazareth and who he is, what Bartimaeus has heard about him, that has stuck with Bartimaeus, right? Something that's sort of drawn him to the Lord Jesus. He knows that Jesus has something he needs, right? It's telling that Bartimaeus, blind and poor, Right, two very big problems in the ancient Near East, right? There's no social safety net, really, especially not in Roman Judea for um, a person like Bartimaeus. Uh, in fact, Roddy Stark, who's a sociologist of religion at Baylor, talks about how, like, this is one of the reasons the church grew so fast in the first couple of centuries, is because Roman society pretty much, like, sent people with disabilities into the elements, whereas the Christian church brought them in, cared for them, right? So, like, Bartimaeus, not in a great position, um, but even still, he doesn't ask Jesus, at least first, for money, material provision, or for his sight back. Right? Both of those things will come later, but those are not Bartimaeus' first concern. First and foremost, Bartimaeus knows that he has a sin problem, and he asks Jesus for mercy. He knows that underneath his sight problem is a sin problem that he's inherited from Adam. You know, there's a scene in the classic Coen Brothers movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? 
where George Clooney's character, Everett, uh, and the two members of the chain gang that he busts out of this Mississippi prison with, uh, Pete, who's John Turturro's character, and Delmer, they're in the woods. They're talking about the next step in their criminal careers. Everett's stolen a pocket watch that he thinks he can trade for a car that'll kind of get them where they think they need to go. And all of a sudden, a massive group of people in no real alignment start sort of wandering through the woods, right? And they're all um, singing the Allison Krauss song, down to the river to pray, right? And so they're walking through the woods and Clooney's character Everett, Pete, John Turturro, they're kind of observing all these people walking with a lot of skepticism, right? And Delmer, though, is staring at them with this funny grin on his face, right? Like he's kind of attracted to what's going on. All these people are walking through the woods toward them and past them, and he's almost fascinated at what's going on. So, intrigued, Delmer, Pete, and Everett follow them down to a river where there's a preacher baptizing all of these white linen-clad people in a river. And after watching a few folks go into the water, Everett says, well, I guess hard times flush the chumps. Everyone's looking for answers. And he barely gets the sentence out before Delmer is trying his darndest to sprint through the water, right? Gangly legs, he falls into the creek halfway to the preacher, but there's a desperation with Delmer, right? He's seen something that he's so attracted to, and there's no option for him but to run towards it, right? So he cuts off all these people who have very patiently walked through the woods, sang their song, waited in line to be baptized, and he goes under, and comes out of the water, and you can see his eyes open, and there's this just massive smile, like he's just seen the most beautiful and glorious thing that he's ever laid his eyes upon. He takes a huge, deep breath, and it's like for the first time in his life, oxygen has inflated Delmer's lungs. Man. Now Delmer weighs back to Pete and Everett, and he said, well, that's it, boys. I've been redeemed. The preacher says all my sins are washed away, including that piggly wiggly I knocked over in Yazoo. And Clooney Everett says, thought you said you were innocent of those charges. And Delmer said, I lied about that, but the preacher said that was covered too. See, Delmer isn't that different from Bartimaeus, at least in this scene in the movie. He's desperate. He knows he has nothing to bring to the table. He doesn't run through the water to the preacher and say, hey, I'll give 10% of the little I have and I'll spend my one Saturday month at the soup kitchen if I can be forgiven. No, he runs up to the preacher and is just immediately dumped, right? There's nothing he brings to the table. And you know what? You and I, we're not all that different from Delmer or Bartimaeus either. We bring nothing to Jesus, nothing, not a single thing. The only thing we bring to Jesus in this process of salvation is the sin that made that very salvation necessary in the first place. 
All we can bring to Jesus is our sinful selves, not our money, our bank account, not our title, not our cars. Now this is great news because the only people Jesus is in the business of saving and walking with are sinful ones, right? Sick have need of a physician, the healthy don't. Before we can walk with Jesus, this has to be something we acknowledge to be true about our own selves, that we are desperate, that we bring nothing to the table in the face of this beautifully attractive, glorious Jesus. Okay, so first, Bartimaeus is desperate. That's point number one. Second, Bartimaeus obeys Jesus' call. After Jesus hears about Bartimaeus calling after him, he says, all right, you know, call him over. So Bartimaeus gets up, but he doesn't just get up, right? He throws off his cloak. He springs up, right? This is like very flowery language. Mark's known for being a very terse writer. He's like the Ernest Hemingway of the Gospels. He doesn't like do a lot with his words. And so for him to say he sprang up, he threw his cloak off and ran towards Jesus is really expressing an urgency and an emphasis that we don't really see anywhere else. He doesn't say, oh, there's Jesus calling. I guess I'll get up and head over that way. Maybe he needs a place to uh, watch the game tonight. You know, maybe he's looking for somebody to go out to dinner with. No, he gets up and he runs over. And in reality, in getting up and walking over to Jesus, Bartimaeus is surrendering the lordship of his own life to the Lord Jesus. He's taking this paper crown that's fashioned for himself off of his head and laying it at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this is an element of the Christian life we've all got to engage in, right? You do it once when you come to faith in the Lord Jesus. You acknowledge that Jesus is the Lord and Savior of your life. But you do it every day of your Christian life. Every time you come across some new slimy pocket of sin in your soul, you have to take that paper crown off and hand it to Jesus and say, you're the king over this area. Right? You're the Lord of my life in this place. You're the Lord over my relationships, over my time, over my family, over everything else in my day-to-day -day life. Now, I know that's like that sounds scary. It certainly sounds scary to me. Right? It's okay to admit that. It's tough to give up control over your life. But let me tell you this. You are a terrible king of your own life. Like, you are a tyrant to yourself. You are not a good king of your own life. Apart from Jesus, you're sinful by nature. If you're familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia, you are the white witch in your own life. Obeying Jesus, acknowledging Him as the King of your life every day of the week, simply unhitching yourself from your own white witchness and hitching yourself to a great, glorious, compassionate, tender King Jesus. Aslan, if you will. So Barmaeus is desperate. Bartimaeus obeys Christ's call to him. And finally, Bartimaeus follows Jesus after he receives his sight. This is something that's really striking me. Bartimaeus doesn't just say, hey, thanks, Jesus, 
mercy and forgiving my sight back. Good luck in Jerusalem with that whole cross thing. Appreciate that, by the way. Let me go live my life and I'll check back with you in a few decades at the pearly gates. No, that's not what Bartimaeus says. This is not a one-time encounter for Bartimaeus. His whole entire life has changed. Instead of remaining comfortable in his own sin and brokenness, he embraces life and life abundant with Jesus following him into Jerusalem, right? Bartimaeus, there's one way to read this where he's kind of getting a raw deal, right? He hadn't come across at the beginning of this whole thing when Jesus is kind of famous and people are kind of digging Jesus and he's doing all these miracles. Like Jesus is like a week or 10 days from going up on the cross, right? So like Bartimaeus is getting in, you know, maybe not the greatest time to be getting in. And yet he still is following Jesus because he knows what Jesus has to offer what Jesus, life with Jesus is like. Man, the worst day of that is, the, is better than the best day of his blindness and beggarliness sitting on the side of the road trying to make it to sundown. This has been a paradigm shift for Bartimaeus. It should be for us too, as followers of Jesus, even 2,000 years later. Just as he healed Bartimaeus of his physical blindness, he heals you and I of our spiritual blindness. If you're in Christ, you're no longer a son or a daughter of that, but a daughter or a son of the Lord Jesus. And that should change how you engage with yourself, with the Lord, with the world around you. Jesus, for Bartimaeus and for us, isn't just a get-out-of-hell card, okay? Look, if that's all Jesus is to you, man, you are going to hate heaven, okay? He's the most beautiful, compassionate, loving, gracious king that there ever was. And he's invited you and me into his court as literal brothers and sisters. In the first and second century church, there's a bishop named Polycarp. He's the bishop of Smyrna. And he's martyred in the mid-second century. There's a lot about this account. If you go read about it online, it's kind of apocryphal. We don't really know if everything is like you know, A, B, C, like super, super true. But there are certain aspects that are fairly undeniable, I think. And one of them is, you know, he's persecuted for being a Christian by the Roman Empire. And as he's being bound, about to be burned, the Roman official who's overseeing his death sentence says, Polycarp, man, you're, you're almost 90 years old. You've lived a good life. You've done a lot of good stuff. You've got some grandchildren, some great-grandchildren. All you got to do is get rid of this Jesus dude, recant your confession of Christ, and we'll let you live out the rest of your days in a real comfortable villa on a hillside in Rome. That's it. All you got to do is say a few words. And Polycarp, as he's about to be burned, says, Eighty and six years have I served him, and he has never done me wrong. How then could I now blaspheme my King and Savior? He has never done me any wrong. This is the Jesus that Polycarp and Bartimaeus followed. Is that the Jesus that you follow? Is that the Jesus that I follow from Monday to Sunday? Do I know, do you know Jesus well enough to say those words confidently? He has never done me any wrong in times of trouble and anxiety and uncertainty because they're true 
Man, look at this Jesus. Spend time with him in his word and in prayer. Spend time with his people. This is the king, Jesus, that you and I follow. A king who's loving and tender, who's friendly and compassionate and kind. Do you want to enjoy your life? Do you want to stem your stress? You don't look to the self-help or productivity or relationship section at Barnes & Noble, right? This is not getting things done or the power of positive thinking. That's not going to do anything for you. Don't look to those books. Look to Christ. Don't look inside of yourself. Look to the Lord Jesus. Do you want to know for sure that someone, namely Jesus, the King of all that is, loves you unconditionally? Look at the cross where Jesus is headed as he passes through Jericho with Bartimaeus. When Jesus climbed up there, he had your name in his mind. He didn't do it just to save you from future punishment. He did it so that you would have life and life abundantly with him even now. He did it so you could experience joy in him on this earth. I wonder if you'd pray with me as we close. Now, Lord, you have fed us with the bread of life, your word. So we have eaten the food of angels. Blessed, Lord, make health and strength to us as we strive and prosper until our obedience reaches the measure of your love and glory. You who have done everything for us. Grant this, dear Father, for your Son's sake, our only Savior. With you and the Holy Spirit, three persons, the one most glorious, incomprehensible God, be all honor, glory, and praise forever. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at Advent Birmingham.